May you live in interesting times. Anyone heard that phrase before? It's out there and it's often uh, cited to be ancient and Chinese in origin, except that it's neither ancient nor is it Chinese. No evidence can be found that links this phrase to ancient China. It appears to be not more than about a hundred years old and entirely Western. So wherever this quote comes from, uh, we can interpret it both as a blessing and as a curse. Interesting times may in fact be volatile times, uncertain times filled with a great amount of anxiety. Such was the time in which the prophet Habakkuk or Habakkuk lived, the author of today's Old Testament lesson. We know very little about this individual. We don't know for certain his exact dates of when he lived. We don't know anything about his family. We certainly don't know what he looked like. That's just an artist's conception of what he may have looked like. Habakkuk is perhaps a rather shadowy figure within the canon of the Old Testament. He is uh, lumped together with the other so-called minor prophets. I prefer what our Jewish brothers and sisters term that category called the latter prophets, not the minor prophets. Short book, only about uh, three chapters there in Habakkuk. We believe he penned his words somewhere in these years 640 to 615 BC. He did indeed live in interesting times and they were indeed volatile, uncertain, filled with a great amount of anxiety. The superpower at that time was the mighty nation of Assyria and its capital city of Nineveh, known and feared for their brutality in war. And it was the city of Nineveh to which another prophet, Jonah, was sent by God, except Jonah fled and went in the opposite direction, eventually returning to do what God called him to do. It was the nation of Assyria that God used to punish the northern kingdom of Israel and its capital city of Samaria in 721 BC. But you see, Assyria's might and power were waning and a new superpower was on the rise, Babylon whom God would use to punish both Assyria as well as the southern kingdom of Judah and its capital city of Jerusalem several decades after Habakkuk, beginning in the year 598 BC. So Habakkuk lived in this time of transition between these two superpowers as one was falling and another rising. And for Habakkuk, the primary question was this, why does God allow evil to get the upper hand? Why does God use godless evil nations as instruments of his power? The opening verses in that Old Testament lesson for today 
make clear. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Sounds awfully contemporary, doesn't it? We ask those same questions today. How can God use a wicked nation such as Babylon for his divine purpose. Habakkuk affirmed God does indeed judge all nations, even Babylon. And in the midst of it all, those God's ways are often mysterious and unknown to us. The righteous shall live by his faith while we wait for that promised day of salvation. So with the words of the prophet Habakkuk before us, today we begin our fall stewardship series. We focus on the theme, first fruits giving. All of this flows out of the offertory prayer we've been using over the summer and into the fall as well. Merciful Father, we offer with joy and thanksgiving what you have first given us, ourselves our time, and our possessions. Today, we focus on the offering of ourselves. May the Lord's rich and abundant blessing rest upon the preaching and the hearing and the living of his word for Jesus' sake. Well, as the children's message pointed out, we got leftovers. How many of you like leftovers? All right, fair amount, but it depends on what you do with those leftovers, right? People hate them, people love them. You can do some creative things with leftovers, but not always. Most of us would prefer to have fresh food at every meal. And as the children's message pointed out, if we sometimes struggle with leftovers in our own lives, why do we do this with God. It can be very easy to give to God the leftovers of our lives, ourselves, our time, our possessions. After we've spent all our energy, after we've occupied our time chasing after every other matter under heaven, after we have all of our other bills paid, then we'll see what's left over for God. I would call that leftovers. Now, it would have been very easy for Habakkuk, living in the midst of so much uncertainty and anxiety and volatility, to focus only on himself and forget about God. When the going gets tough, our tendency is to go into survival mode, doing what we need to do to look out for number one. Everything else Everybody else takes a back seat. And at such times, we are tempted to keep the best for ourselves and give God the leftovers of our lives. 
Hmm. Truth be told, we're tempted to do this even when times are good. And why is that? Because that is our human nature. In Corvatus en Se, the church fathers termed this a curving in on self. The image there is the Italian master's Caravaggio's depiction of Narcissus from Greek mythology who fell in love with his own image. And that is sin at its core, a curving in on self. And it is from this curving in on self that we keep the best, the first fruits for ourselves and we give to God what's left over. And so we dishonor the Lord by bringing to him the paltry remains of ourselves and our time and our possessions. In contrast to the Father's hand depicted on that altar plaque high on the wall, open to us in blessing, often our hands are clenched tight, striving to cling to and hold on to the things of this life. The theme for this fall stewardship series is first fruits giving. It begins with God not with us. God is the maker and owner of heaven and earth. And after the Lord God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, before they came into the promised land, God called his people then to bring to him the first fruits of their fields as an offering to the Lord. Nothing was to be harvested until this offering first occurred. And the purpose of this was to remind God's people of their deliverance by the Lord, that it was the Lord, not themselves, who had brought them into this land overflowing with milk and honey. That's the origin of first fruits giving. Now, the Old Testament command to bring in the first fruits of the harvest is not commanded in the New Testament. The old law has given way to Christ's new command to love one another as I have loved you, Jesus tells us. Paul the Apostle does call on believers to set aside a collection on the first day of the week but this is to be done not out of guilt, not out of compulsion, but out of thankfulness for all that God in Christ has done for us. And that is what we do. We give to the Lord of ourselves with gladness, just as that first fruits offering was originally given. It is Jesus, the Son of God, who by his suffering and death and resurrection has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, as Paul the Apostle tells us, meaning that in Jesus, who loved us and laid down his life for us on the cross, that we have the assurance of our own resurrection from the dead. This is the garment that clothes us, the robe of Christ's own righteousness. 
And as Habakkuk said, so we say today, the righteous shall live by faith. Jesus' closing words in the gospel lesson for today are a comeuppance to the sense of entitlement that we may have about ourselves. Can we humble ourselves before our Lord and God and say we are unworthy servants? We have only done what was our duty. And what is our duty? We saw an example of this last week, a striking example in the midst of all of the stuff that's going on in our world and our nation at this particular point in time. The example I'm referring to took place in Dallas, Texas. You may be aware of it, Amber Geiger, a Dallas police officer who fatally shot her neighbor, Botham Jean, whom she, when she mistakenly entered his apartment thinking it was her own. She was sentenced this past week to a 10-year sentence in prison. Many people were angered with that sentence, saying it was much too lenient. But Brant Jean, the brother of the man who was killed, addressed Amber Geiger directly from the witness stand. And he told her that his brother would have wanted her to turn her life over to Christ, and that if she asks God for forgiveness, she will get it. He's told her, I love you as a person. I don't wish anything bad on you. And then he asked the judge, I don't know if this is possible, but can I give her a hug? And that's the image of that courtroom scene. Is that stewardship? Yes, it is absolutely stewardship to give of ourselves when it would be very easy to be bent on vengeance and retribution and to give that over to the Lord so that reconciliation and forgiveness can take place. Who knows what the long-term impact of this will be, not only in the lives of the people there, but in the lives of everyone else who has watched it. That, my friends, is stewardship of ourselves, an offering of the first fruits of who and what we are. If God, the maker and owner of heaven and earth, did not withhold the life of his only begotten son, but freely gave him up for us all, who are we? Who are we to withhold anything of what God has placed into our hands? When all is said and done, what the Lord desires most from us is not things or stuff or possessions or material goods. God wants something far more valuable than that. He desires our hearts. 
our very selves. So whether we live in interesting times that are filled with uncertainty or volatility or anxiety, or whether we live in times of peace and plenty, when there is more than enough to go around, we hold on to this truth. The righteous shall live by faith, entrusting the first fruits of our lives, not the leftovers of our lives, into the Lord's care and keeping. May the Lord be honored and glorified through our stewardship of his gifts in our lives, for Jesus' sake. Amen. And the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, your spirit, your soul, and your body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. I invite